Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Does your tight schedule prevent you from sitting down with your Bible? Do you sometimes find the Bible confusing? The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past, and present. It's hosted by Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Pastor Will Whedon. Learn more at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. An evangelical and Catholic podcast, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Dana Joya is with us today to discuss his new volume of poems called Meet Me at the Lighthouse. Uh, I, I actually won't mention his previous volumes because I, I, I would like to discuss them uh, in a moment. Uh, just I'll mention a few things from 2002 to 2009. He was chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts. And after that, he was professor at USC in Los Angeles. Uh, welcome, Dana. Good to be here. Okay. Well, as, as I said uh, a moment ago, if we could, uh, would you like to reviewed your corpus with us a little bit. What was your first volume of poetry? Well, it's interesting that you asked me this question because I had not realized until a few days ago that if, if you looked at my books of poems, I published the first one, Daily Horoscope in the 80s, the second one, Gods of Winter in the 90s, the third one, uh, Interrogations at Noon, uh, in the aughts, the, you know, the fourth one, uh, Pity the Beautiful in the teens. I had a selected poems come out in the meantime, and now I've uh, published my new book, Meet Me at the Lighthouse, uh, this year. And so I, I've published a book of poems in each of the last uh, five decades, uh, which makes me feel old, but dependable. <laughs> well, uh, you know, to, let's go into that. Uh, a little bit. We'll we'll get to the current volume, of course, but uh, many years later, would you look back at the first volume of the horoscope volume and identify certain things about it that indicate where you were as a poet around that time? Well, I see a lot of continuity and uh, a lot of development in my work. When I published my first book, Daily Horoscope, which came out in 1986, um, the book was controversial because I was writing most of the poems in form, in meter or rhyme and meter. And I was both praised and attacked for this. And this came at a moment in American poetry where uh, we were called the new formalists, because in the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, free verse was triumphant. And in fact, some American poets, in fact, many American poets felt that it was uh, bad, it was reactionary, it was anti-American, it was anti-democratic to use poetic form, which struck me as absolutely silly because rock songs, country western uh, songs, and, and soon in the 80s, hip hop, were all written with rhyme and with meter. And so uh, I felt that actually writing in form was more democratic. It was more accessible to the audience. Plus, uh, for me, it was never an ideological matter. I loved the sound of poetic forms. And for me, the art of poetry is a musical art. What you're trying to do is to create a verbal spell 
that brings the reader, the listener, into an emotional mood or a certain uh, psychological attitude. And so, but it was very controversial, and I became famous in some ways because of all the attacks. Now, when I look back on my the, uh, a younger version of myself, the, well, Dana, uh, Dana let me let me interrupt you for a moment because what I didn't mention uh, when you talk about poetry as music is your work as a librettist. Uh, maybe I'll save that. In case uh, uh, before we get to the volume, but that certainly th th there's a there's a very easy continuity there for you from you from your from your written volumes and from your your work with with composers. Yes. Yeah, I would guess that there are few poets in my generation who have collaborated with as many musicians as I have. Um, I mean, I've written opera libretti, I've written song lyrics, I've written sacred pieces. I have a piece with Sir James Macmillan uh, called for soloists, orchestra, and chorus called Fiat Lux, Let There Be Light, which hmm. will be premiered in June um, in the Christ Cathedral in Orange County. Uh, hmm. it, was, it was written for the rededication of Christ Cathedral, which was at one point a Protestant church and was bought by the the Diocese of Orange County, uh, but the pandemic delayed it. So I've done this sacred work. Uh, this last weekend, I had a symphonic song cycle uh, that I did with composer Laurie Leitman. I've written jazz lyrics for Helen's song. Uh, I've, I've com composed uh, music with Dave Brubeck, uh, Ned Roram, a, lo a lot of people. So, And I, I think that that is a natural extension of what it means to be a poet. Shakespeare would not have thought it unusual at all to write song lyrics. You know, it was part of what a poet does. So I think in some ways I'm I'm just bringing poetry back to where it should belong in culture, the art of words. Uh, will you will you give us a, a quick rendition of one of the poems in, in Horoscope, Dana? Can, can, can you do that with a, a representative piece of your characteristic style and and theme? Yeah, there's a, I, in Daily Horoscope, I have, uh, you know, both um, three verse poems and rhymed poems. Uh, what, what I think I should do is give you, you know, one of the rhymed poems uh, to give you a sense of it. This is called Thanks for Remembering Us. And it comes out of something that really happened is that one night my wife and I came back to our apartment and there was a bouquet of flowers sitting on the doorstep. It wasn't addressed to her. It wasn't addressed to me. There was no card. And we couldn't figure out who sent us or who sent which of us flowers. We brought them into the kitchen, put them on the table where they sowed dissent. <laughs> and so I wrote this poem called Thanks for Remembering Us. The flowers sent here by mistake signed with a name that no one knew, are turning bad. What shall we do? Our neighbor says they're not for her, and no one has a birthday near. We should thank someone for the blunder. Is one of us having an affair? At first we laugh, and then we wonder. The iris was the first to die enshrouded in its sickly sweet and lingering perfume. The roses fell one petal at a time, 
and now the ferns are turning dry. The room smells like a funeral, but there they sit, too much at home, accusing us of some small crime, like love forgotten, and we can't throw out a gift we've never owned. Hmm. Very nice. And so, you know, it's it's very musical, it's, <laughs> it's rhymed, uh, and, uh, you know, it tells a little story. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, uh, uh, anyway, that's that's an example of what I was yeah. like in my first book. Okay, the, the next volume uh, that, that comes out, the, the 90s volume, did the reception of the previous book play any role factor in in the development of, of that next volume? Well, you, you, know, my, you, you abandoned form altogether, correct? No more no, writing, was, no more form. No. <laughs> I was, I stubbornly sticked to what I did. Now, I have to describe is that I've never been anti-free verse. What I'm anti is the idea that all poems should be written in free verse. All poems should be written in the same style. So when a, when I start to write a poem, I listen to it and ask, does it want to be in meter or free verse? Does it want to be rhymed or unrhymed? Hmm. But anyway, my second book was called The Gods of Winter. I think it is the best book I've ever written, uh, but for unfortunate reasons, because it was written after the death of my first son. And so the book is highly unified. Uh, it's at a, at a very deep emotional uh, uh, depth. And so... Uh, it came out, and I want to. It was published in England, where it was chosen by the Poetry Books Society as their uh, their selection. So the first edition in England sold out immediately. In America, uh, I had just published a very famous article called "Can Poetry Matter," and it, which made me a persona non grata uh, in the creative writing community. So my second book. Uh, was widely praised, but it went uncovered in all the official poetry outlets. So it was very strange, but it's still in print. I mean, it's probably gone through eight printings right now. Um, and But it's a darker, more emotional book. Yeah. Can, can you give us a rendition of one of those poems? Okay, this is a, uh, this is a poem. This is the first poem in the book. It's in free verse. And in fact, it's a it's a very um, strange poem in that most of the poem is sentence fragments. It's just images. Uh, many of your listeners will probably know the poem because the composer Morton Lauritsen has set it to music, and it's widely performed all over the United States. It's called Prayer, uh, and it's often performed in churches or in communities when they've lost uh, people, lost children. Prayer. Echo of the clock tower, footstep in the alleyway, sweep of the wind sifting the leaves, jeweler of the spider web, connoisseur of autumn's opulence, blade of lightning harvesting the sky, keeper of the small gate, Choreographer of entrances and exits, midnight whisper traveling the wire, seducer 
healer, deity, or thief, I will see you soon enough in the shadow of the rainfall, in the brief violet darkening a sunset. But until then, I pray, watch over him as the mountain guards its covert oar and the harsh falcon its flightless young. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a prayer for my, my first son. And I think even though it's a mysterious poem, I think many people respond to it because uh, they can feel the intensity of it. And since it's not in rhyme or meter, I, I try to make the individual images resonant, luminous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I, 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 I sort of find n nothing better for me right now than to <laughs> to ask you to give us another rendition of a poem from the the, the interrogations uh, volume the the following yeah well, volume here. Do you want to uh, do you want to just select one for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, interrogations at noon actually won the American Book Award. Now that sounds more prestigious than it is. Uh, the American Book Award is the Outsider Award. I mean, it was created by Ishmael Reed and it tended to go to uh, you know revolutionary poets and things like this. And so when I got it, the award, I thought it was a prank. Hmm. I didn't think I'd really gotten the award. So I told my publisher, double check this. But I realized that as a formal writer, I was so much of an outsider that they, you know, they gave me an award because, you know, I was like a wild experimental poet. So this is the 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 first poem in the book. It's uh, it's a it's about words. It's about what words can do, and what words can't do, and why we need them. Mm -hmm. Words. The world does not need words. It articulates itself in sunlight, leaves, and shadows. The stones on the path are no less real for lying uncatalogued and uncounted. The fluent leaves speak only the dialect of pure being. The kiss is still fully itself, though no words were spoken. And one word transforms it into something less or other, illicit, chaste, perfunctory, conjugal, covert. Even calling it a kiss betrays the fluster of hands, glancing the skin or gripping a shoulder, the slow arching of neck or knee, the silent touching of tongues. Yet the stones remain less real to those who cannot name them or read the mute syllables graven in silica. To see a red stone is less than seeing it as jasper. Metamorphic quartz, cousin to the flint the Kiowa carved as arrowheads. To name is to know and remember. The sunlight needs no praise piercing the rain clouds, painting the rocks and leaves with light, then dissolving each lucent droplet back into the clouds that engendered it. The daylight needs no praise, and so we praise it always, greater than ourselves and all the airy words it summons. 
and so it's it's a this is a poem in uh in praise of creation it's in, uh and praising the ability of words to grasp it on a philosophical sense it's also an anti postmodern poem you know people who deconstruct language and say that you know that there's no connection between language and reality words are the best way we have at getting towards reality it isn't perfect but that doesn't mean that we have to uh claim that it's a that it's you know a complete arbitrary relationship Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Let, let's, let's jump to, to the current volume. We want to spend, spend time with that. Lots of it touches on California, Los Angeles, uh, your, your birth state, mine too. Uh, but you, you were poet laureate, California. You did a lot of work there. Did that come into play in the... Uh, because you, you, I think you traveled all over the state. You hit the libraries. You really went on a, a poetry advocacy campaign. Did that did that bring California back to you in some way? Well, it, I was appointed poet laureate of California, and I decided that I would try to do something that no one else had ever managed, which is to give a poetry reading in all fifty eight counties. I mean, California is as big as a European country. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of these counties like Los Angeles have 10 million people. The small ones like Alpine have just over a thousand people. So mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're all over the board. And I didn't just do readings. Everywhere I went, I created an event of local artists with myself. And what it demonstrated to me was that I was correct in thinking average people love poetry if it's well-presented if it is accessible to them. Uh, there was no town, however small, that I didn't get an audience and that I didn't have other artists join me. So it was a, a clarifying moment for me as a poet. And I was able to try out new poems with audiences. I was able to, to, to talk to people who were farm workers, who uh, were military, who worked in prisons. I mean, not literary people. And they liked poetry they liked hearing poetry yeah the longest poem in the book is a ballad which is a historical form it's a pretty tight form with some variations allowed it's also in the a subgenre style that i bet a lot of people uh, back here in uh, the east coast don't realize cowboy poetry i uh, i gather you like you like some cowboy poetry yeah i love the ballad the ballad is the most uh, direct way of telling a story in verse. And that's why it's used in folk poetry, in, in country and Western. It's used in rock songs. Uh, it's used by literary writers. I mean, what did, what did Wordsworth and Coleridge call their volume? Lyrical ballads. And it was full yeah. of ballads. And so it's a natural way. And so the interesting thing is if I start to recite a ballad, everybody, even people that are uh, have no education at all, they know how to hear it. 
And so it's, you know, it's probably the most powerful form in the English language in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. W would you, I, I know it's a little bit of a long poem for, for the volume, but would you like to give us a little background and then recite, you know, at least part of the poem? Yeah, my, I'm Italian and Mexican. The Mexicans in my family were vaqueros. And so they uh, came up from Mexico and they uh, did cattle drives. My great grandfather, Jesus Ortiz, uh, ended up in Lost Cabin, Wyoming, where he was murdered in a, a barroom uh, gunfight. You know, it wasn't much of a fight because he didn't have a gun and the other guy had a mm. rifle. Mm. Uh, and this was part of my family lore. And, and uh, while when I was chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, I was in Wyoming and I mentioned this. And there was a woman in the audience who was clearly skeptical. She thought I was making it up. And about two months later, I, some documents arrived. And I discovered that that woman was the state librarian of Wyoming. And she found all these documents about my, my great grandfather, about his murder, about the trial. And I took them and I put together a poem. This is what it, this is sort of what it sounds like. I'll give you the opening. The Ballad of Jesus Ortiz. Jake's family were vaqueros. They worked the cattle drives down from Montana to market. They did what it took to survive. Jake's real name was Jesus, which the Anglos found hard to take. So after a couple of days, the cowboys called him Jake. When Jake was 12, his father brought him along to ride. Don't waste your youth in the Pueblo. Work at your father's side. The days were hot and toilsome, but all the crew got fed. It wasn't hard to sleep on the ground when you never had a bed. 3,000 herd of cattle grazing the prairie grass. 3,000 head of cattle pushed through each mountain pass. 3,000 head of cattle fording the muddy streams. And then 3,000 phantoms bellowing in your dreams. At night, when the coyotes called, Jake would often weep, recalling how his mother would sing her children to sleep. But when he rose in the morning, the desert air was sweet. No sitting in a mission school with bare and dusty feet. And when the drive was over, he got his pay. And then he came back to the Pueblo, where he was one of the men. Ten years on the open range, he led the vaquero's life far from his home in Sonora. No children and no wife. Then Jake headed north to Wyoming to find his winter keep among the Basques and Anglos who raised and slaughtered sheep. He came to cold lost cabin where the rattlesnake mountains rise over the empty foothills under the rainless skies. The herders lived in dugouts or shacks of pine and tar. The town had seven buildings the biggest was a bar. <laughs> I could probably pause there because I know no, we're no, tight no, on time. No, no, then, yeah, I think you should pause there because uh, people need to go read that poem. They need they need to ch check out that book and find out exactly what happened there. Yeah, and, so, I, and I'm, let, 
I'm not making anything up. The town was called Lost Cabin. The mountains were the rattlesnake <laughs> mountains. You know. That's right. Well, you know, so just just the names out out west. You know, Superstition Mountain, Tombstone, Deadwood. Uh, in in themselves, though, those are those are great. Who is Helen Sung, Henry? Helen Sung is a wonderful uh, uh, Asian American pianist. She's from Houston, and uh, she and I did an album uh, together. She asked me if I would write lyrics, uh, you know, for a her first vocal album. So I wrote the lyrics and actually, you know, she and I have kind of gone on tour. We've done concerts all over the country. Mm -hmm. It was, it was interesting to write, you know, to write jazz lyrics. Yeah. And and you've got some, uh, some of those songs in, in this volume. There's one that I, I, I mentioned to you, I saw you in Seattle the other day and I mentioned to you how, how some of these lines are, are, are just great. The poem hot summer night. Uh, it's got these tight, neat, condensed verse and rhyme. It, it's it's a great combination of of rhythm and 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 commentary. Uh, will you will you give us that rendition? I'd be happy to recite it. I should say this is that I would never have written this poem if Helen hadn't asked me to write these songs. And we said, well, we need kind of like an upbeat Latin number. And so this is what I wrote: Hot summer night. Let's go downtown. It's a hot summer night. Lovers are sitting in sidewalk cafes, breaking up, making up, hooking up, cooking up plans that would leave you amazed. Let's go downtown. It's a hot summer night. Let's not stay home and get in a fight. Let's eat spicy food in a dark little dive and let our bodies know we're alive. Summer has come. The young are on fire. And every tattoo spells a word for desire. They're strolling as naked as custom allows. They never say later. They only say now. Let's live in the flesh and not on a screen. Let's dress like people who want to be seen. Don't bring me home till the dawn's early light. Let's not waste this hot summer night. Uh, I think of, it, of that being, in a weird way, a marriage poem. You know, about, you know, you're married. You're, you know, you just got to. Sometimes you just got the two of you. Just got to go out and 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 be be romantic together. That's right. L last question, Dana. Uh, I, I mentioned a lot of Los Angeles poems here. Would you like to be understood, at least in part, as a California writer? There, there's a pretty good lineage there, eh? Yeah. Well, I would say that. All poets live somewhere. They belong somewhere. So I'm a, an American poet who is from Los Angeles, who's Italian and Latin, who's, who's Catholic. All of those things really matter to me. And, you know, it's, it's part, of, part of an identity. And uh, I'm delighted to be able to celebrate and criticize and tell stories about the places that I live in. The volume is Meet Me at the Lighthouse. Dana Joya, thank you for joining us. I'm delighted to be here again. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.